Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And um, God has graced us now to be in 67 countries with the word of God. 67 countries. Amen. So right from here, you know, when I preach to our precious congregation here, it ends up going to 450 radio stations and 67 nations, 67 countries around the world. And so God has allowed us to reach a lot of people. But here's the thing. When Jesus appeared to John in the Revelation, chapter 1, the risen Savior appears to him on the Isle of Patmos. The first thing on Jesus' mind was you and me, his church. Because he takes two chapters, chapter 2 and 3 in Revelation, to talk to seven churches, each of them individually, with an individual message for each of them. They were all different. They all had different issues and different things that Jesus wanted to address. But what he said to those seven churches, he sang to us. And that's why it went into the eternal word of God. Amen? We've looked at four already on Sundays. Today we're going to look at the fifth one. And it's the church in Sardis. And I'm calling this today the lifeless church. How many of you would like for Jesus to look at your church and say, well, there's the lifeless church. No, you wouldn't want that at all, would you? No, you want him to go, wow, there's my church. There's the soul winning church. There's the worshiping church. There's the Jesus loving church. But let's see what he had to say to the church in Sardis. Revelations 3, 1, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God. Seven spirits of God means seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And the seven stars, remember the stars are the leadership of the churches. Jesus says the famous two words, he says to all of them, what are those two words? I know. I know. What does he know? I know your works. That you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Ouch. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. You got a reputation for being alive, but the truth is you're dead. Now, that's not you. That's not us. Thank God, by the grace of God, most everybody in here is born again and loves the Lord. Do I have an amen? Amen. But this church was in some trouble. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your blessing on the word of God today. We pray you'd open our understanding. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit would say to the church. Through this church, Sardis. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, perk up and listen. You're going to need this. All right. So far, we've looked at four of the seven churches. Here they are quickly. First church we looked at was Ephesus. Ephesus was the lacking church. It was lacking because they had lost their first love. Smyrna, the second church, was the loyal church because they had kept Jesus' name in the worst and toughest of times. They had not denied him. So 
So they were the loyal church. Pergamos, the third church, was the lax church because they had things going on in their midst that the leadership should have been dealing with and they didn't. So they were the lax church. Then last week we looked at Thyatira, the loose church. That's where Jezebel was. And they had immorality issues going on and idolatry going on in Thyatira. Now today we're looking at the church in Sardis, which is the fifth church that Jesus addresses. Now, the city of Sardis itself, remember, all these churches, these seven churches, were all real churches in real cities in John's day. They were all located in what today would be modern Turkey. They were all there, seven cities, seven churches, and today the city of Sardis is where this fifth church was located. Sardis was very old and very famous. Sardis was sort of like New York City. You always go to New York City and see the lights. Sardis was a famous city like that. It was really on the map. 700 years before this letter that John writes to Sardis under the instruction of Jesus, uh, Sardis had been one of the greatest cities in the entire world. They were extremely wealthy. They were not in any way. They didn't have a homeless problem. No, they were wealthy. One of the ways they were wealthy, get this, there was a river called Pactolus that flowed through Sardis and it carried down gold dust from a mountain there. I would love to find that river. And I'd be in there with a pan, right? But here's the thing. This was real. Gold dust came down from the mountain in this river and the king of Sardis uh, learned how to get this gold and he used it to hammer out and mint the first gold coins. He did it with the gold dust that flowed in this river. And that's one of the things that made Sardis wealthy. When John wrote this letter, they were still very well off economically. Their economy was humming. It was humming from making and selling beautiful woven fabrics and jewelry. So their economy was good. They didn't have an inflation problem. They didn't have high gas prices. Just kidding. There was no gasoline. (laughs) Just want to see if y'all were there. Uh, So it was doing well. Doing very, very well, watch this, economically. But it goes to show you that because you're rich doesn't mean you're right. Because Sardis had become lethargic and decadent, which happens to most nations. They get really rich and wealthy. They kick back. They get loose in their morals. They begin to walk away from God. And that's what happened to Sardis. The past splendor of Sardis was now only a decaying memory. Because in fact, spiritually and morally, Sardis was depraved. Sardis was depraved. They had turned themselves over to the flesh. And like Rome did later, the Rome that John was in, and and I'm going to say it, America is doing now. The Sardis of the Apostle John's day was decaying and rotting from the inside out. And that is precisely what's happening to our country today. I love America. I'm not slamming America. 
I care about America, and that's why I'm telling the truth about America. As Sardis did, and as Rome did, and as other great cultures of the past did, America is rotting from the inside out. We, we have a, an incredible moral depravity problem right now, and the only answer is not Republicans, not Democrats, not Washington. The only answer is prayer and Almighty God. That's the only answer. For example, the leaders of Sardis had allowed a prostitution temple to be built to the false goddess or goddess Diana. Diana was the mythical goddess of the moon, the hunt, and fertility. And this temple that they built to Diana in Sardis was the seventh largest temple in the world of that day. And it was the setting for all kinds of sin and debauchery. So it goes to show you the leaders of Sardis had totally departed from any knowledge or honor for the true God, and they had given themselves over to idolatry. They gave huge honor to a fake goddess that led people into immorality. And they also entertained a lot of mystery cults as well. And when they would get together to uh, honor and worship these idols that were involved in the mystery cults, it was these meetings were marked by wild emotional hysteria and bodily humili- uh, 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 mutilation. And whenever you see bodily mutilation, you're watching the devil at work because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and God would never lead you to hurt it. Then next we come to the church in Sardis. So here is this corrupt, depraved, decadent culture the city of Sardis, and that's where God planted a church. And that's the way it ought to be. You ought to put a church in the worst of places to shine the light into the dark. Amen. And so God led, don't know who, but somebody went and started a church there, and you have this now church in Sardis that was important enough to Jesus that it's the fifth church he singles out and brings a word to. Jesus' take on them was this. You've got a reputation for being alive, but let me tell you the truth about yourselves. Uh, You're actually dead. You're spiritually dead. Your reputation and the truth of the matter aren't the same. Man sees one thing, I see another. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so he says, your reputation is that you're alive, but the truth of the matter is you're not. Do you know there's a lot of churches all over the world that have a reputation for being alive, for being a happening church, the place to go, but actually when Jesus looks at it, it's dead because it's religious, but it doesn't have relationship with him. It's religious, but it's not alive. They, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And, and, and so this, is, this was Sardis. The Lord has no positive words for this church. The other churches, he always begins with attaboys. But with this one, there's no attaboy. He starts out with with correction immediately. Listen again to his diagnosis. I know all the things that you do. And that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Is he telling them to wake up from their sleep? No. Wake up spiritually. 
Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. There's a few things flickering with life among you, and those are about to die too. So wake up, wake up. So this Sardis church was on life support. It had been alive, but something had happened to it. Their outer appearance and the reputation covered up an internal dying condition. The great physician had taken their pulse and pronounced them dead. Now, again, that's not us, but there's something here for us to learn today. Because God didn't put this in his word by mistake. Amen? So to the casual observer, let me tell you about this church. To the casual observer, they were happening. To the casual observer, uh, they were doing lots of good things. Jesus said, I know your works. That means they were doing things. They weren't just sitting there dead. You know, their, their, their activities didn't belie their spiritual condition. They were active. I know your works. So they were involved in doing things. They, they were active. Their reputation around town, I'm, I'm talking hypothetically here, but I think I'm probably pretty accurate. Uh, their reputation around town might have been described as being progressive, having a nice building, a lot of money, doing great works of charity. Their reputation around town was positive, upbeat. They had a, they had a good reputation around town. Jesus said, you've got a name that lives that you're alive, that you're happening, that you've got it going on. The Bible says man looks on the outer appearance, as I said, but God looks on the real heart. Therefore, the glorified Savior, the head of the church, pierces through the facade in this letter to Sardis and diagnoses their spiritual illness. It says he didn't find their works perfect. That word perfect means finished or complete. They had not finished what God gave them to do. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is almost finished. No, he said it's it's finished. What did Paul say? I have finished my race. It's one thing to start. It's another thing to finish. Many people start strong and end weak. Start good and end bad. We're not in a hundred yard dash. We're in a marathon. And God says, we, we need to finish strong. If you start strong, finish strong. Don't faint on the path. Don't faint along the way. But if you started strong, end strong. And they had not ended strong. Paul wrote a man named Archippus once and he said, see to it, Archippus, you complete Finish, fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. It's so important to finish what God has given us to do. There's a reason God let you wake up this morning. There's a reason God let me wake up this morning. Why do you let us wake up? Because we've got time now to finish what he's given us to do. To bear the fruit. To influence others for Christ. To live for him. To glorify him. We're not here by mistake. Our times are in his hand. And we're to finish what we've started. How many of you want to finish your assignment? The Sardis Church had not finished their assignment. Somewhere along the way, they were doing good, and they got sidetracked, and they stumbled, and they drifted, and they didn't finish. They didn't finish. 
So Jesus says your works aren't perfect because you haven't finished them. You haven't fulfilled them. One of my strong prayers and desires is that when my time comes, I'll be able to say with Paul, I finished my race. I finished my assignment. I kept the faith. And so I'm going to hear the words, well done. Not well almost done. Not well kind of done. Not well a little bit done, but well done. Come on, everybody. So, so let's unpack this. Let's unpack this. Why did Jesus call them spiritually dead? What, what, was the, what were the termites eating away at the strength and the, the, the uh, integrity of this church? First of all, compromise. Compromise. The church in Sardis had compromised with its pagan worldly surroundings. You know, you and I, we, we've got three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And, and we've got to maintain a victory over all of them. The world and its ways are always contrary to God's ways. That's why John said, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, what's in the world? What drives the world? What, what is the engine that... that, that that accelerates the world and drives the world. It is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those, those are the engines that drive this world. John said, don't love it. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And this world is passing away and all the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God will abide forever. We're called to have victory over the world. What is it? What is the victory? What is the victory that overcomes the world? The Bible says even our faith. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But Sardis had lost their battle with the world. Remember, they were surrounded by a very corrupt culture. They lost their kingdom saltiness. Amen. What did Jesus say? You're the salt of the earth. What does that mean? That means where you go, he goes. That means when you walk into a room, you bring him with you. That's talking about the witness of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the reality of Jesus. We were out eating with a couple last night and um, I didn't mean to, but I slipped into preaching a little bit. I can't help it. I'm, even while I was doing it, I was saying to myself, Jeff, you're preaching, but I just kept going. Okay, because I'm, I'm talking to them and I said, I was talking about how the, the greatest decision and most important decision of your entire life is to walk with him. There is no more important decision than that. It is infinitely more important than who you marry, what your career choice is, where you live. There is no decision that can begin to hold a candle to that one What? am I doing with Jesus? What have I done with Jesus? How have I responded to Jesus? My voice is, um, it carries. And I'm saying this at this table and I started getting animated. You know me, I'm doing this. And I turn and I see the table next to me. They're all listening. Okay. And I thought, oh, well, I'm going to keep going. 
So what was I doing? I was salty. I was salty with the kingdom. I was salty with the things of God. I was sharing the things of Jesus. And, and at least a few people in tables next to us and the couple that we were uh, eating with and sharing with, the, the saltiness, the reality, the touch, the fragrance of the kingdom of God was coming out. And I'm not patting myself on the, on the back. Listen, we all are carriers of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. And Jesus said, what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Any church that loses its saltiness, its witness of the kingdom of God, is worthless as a church. Thank God for all the souls being saved via ministries that Turning Point is involved in. Thank God for all the lives that are being changed, the constant testimonies we receive, because that's what God called the church to do. And Sardis had lost that. Something happened. Jesus said there's only a few. He says, you have a few people in your group, your church, who have kept themselves clean. Only a few in this church had held fast to Jesus and the teachings of the kingdom of God. The rest of them had drifted, had been defeated by the world. They had loved the world. They had shaken hands with the world. Uh, they had allowed the world, they were put in Sardis to influence Sardis, but now the corruption in Sardis was influencing them. That's never God's will. We're supposed to look different, think different, talk different, walk different have different worldviews. We're supposed to stand out in a good way as being decidedly different from the world. Amen. But Jesus says, there's only a few in your church. So compromise with that corrupt culture was part of what was killing them. Second, they'd replace true anointing with endless activity. Listen, activity doesn't mean you're anointed. Amen. Just because you're busy, busy, busy. Remember Martha? She's mad at Mary because Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to the word of God. Martha's in the kitchen. Pans are clanging. Doors are slamming. She finally comes in and she says, Lord, would you tell her to get up and help me? I'm doing all the work. I'm the busy one. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, when he says your name twice, you're in trouble. <laughs> Martha, Martha. How many of you ever, Jeff, Jeff, oh, no, don't want to hear it. Martha, Martha, you are careful and worried and distracted with so many things. But Mary has chosen the good part, which will never be taken away from her. Okay? Busyness does not equate into anointing. There's a lot of churches busy like beehives, but there's no anointing. There's no life. There's no salvations happening. No soul winning. No spiritual fruit. They're just religiously active. But activity doesn't save you. Activity doesn't mean you're doing God's work. Jesus said, I know your deeds. So they were very busy. But Jesus said, you've got a reputation of being alive. And that suggests that the outer appearance was very positive. This church was humming, but they were dead. Uh, it had a reputation for being a happening church. The buzz on the streets, I'm just guessing, 
was probably, hey, if you're looking for a church, go to the church in Sardis right down the street. It is happening. They are doing all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things you can plug into. Jesus said, I see all of your activity, but spiritually, there's no pulse. It was no doubt well attended. Most people had a positive opinion of this church. From what? From all the visible things they were doing. If you were moving from Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and going to Sardis, your pastor would probably have said, you be sure you go to the church in Sardis, it's happening. But their reputation was not the reality. Rather than Sardis impacting the city, the city impacted Sardis. Jesus said most of them had defiled their garments. That means most of them had caved to the corruption of the world. Let me tell you, folks, talking honestly and truthfully, I've never seen more corruption, more immorality, more depravity, more degeneracy than our nation is in right now. And it's knocking on your door and my door 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So we must take our stand and say, I will not defile my garments. I will not succumb to or cave into the corruption of this culture. I'm going to be a light shining into the dark. I'm going to be an answer and not a question mark. I'm going to be an exclamation point. I'm going to make a difference. Are you hearing me? So that was another contributor to their deadness. All kinds of activity, but no anointing, no life. So here's some good news. How many of you are ready for some good news? Let me give you some good news. Here's the good news. The situation in Sardis was not hopeless. It wasn't hopeless. Jesus gives a remedy in verse 2. He says, be watchful and strengthen what remains the things that are ready to die, what little bit of spiritual reality they still had, Jesus said, stop now and revive what is still barely alive. He exhorts them, strengthen what still remains. If you catch yourself in time, you can recover. Amen. There's always hope with Jesus. I don't care where you are, what you've done, how far you've drifted. There's always hope in Jesus as long as your heart is beating and you're waking up in the morning. I don't care how dire it looks. There is hope in Jesus. He can turn anything, deliver you from anything, heal you from anything, set you on the right path. There is hope in Jesus. His solution is found in verse three. So don't forget what you have received and heard. Obey it. Change your hearts and lives. So here's what he's saying in a nutshell. He's saying, if you find yourself in a hole, first thing you do is stop digging. That's going to hit some of you in the back row in just a minute. If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Don't make matters worse. Stop now. Turn now. Repent now. Get right now. There's still time. His path to recovery is in three words. Here they are. Say them with me. Remember, Remember. repent, Repent. and return. return. Remember. He says, remember the truth that changed you at the first. Remember. Remember. 
Remember the day you were saved. Remember when Jesus came into your heart. Remember when he delivered you and first touched you and you experienced that first love. Go back to the beginning, to the the first blessings. Remember, go back. Remember the things God has done. Have you ever noticed the devil wants you to forget the good and remember the bad? He wants to beat you over the head with your mistakes and he wants to remove from your memory all the things that God has done for you. But Jesus said, remember, remember, remember. Don't forget what you have received and heard. What have you heard? The cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus. That's what changed you. That's what turned your life around. That was the turning point in your life. The gospel of Christ. The world didn't give it to you. Men didn't give it to you. You didn't give it to you. He gave it to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody say remember. Remember. Oh, it does good to remember. Remember. Go back and remember. And then he said, once you remember, repent. Repent. Repent of your error. Repentance is easy. It's a beautiful word. Because that six-letter word, repent, is, is the gateway to all blessing. It opens the door to salvation. Opens the door to everything that God has for you. Repent. That just means I agree with God. I've sinned. You're right, Lord. I agree with you. I've sinned. Not going to deny it. Not going to blame somebody else. I have sinned. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm going to repent. That means I'm going this way and I go this way instead. I'm walking this way chasing the world, going down the wide path that leads to destruction. But when I repent, I turn and I get on that narrow road that leads to life. I, I, I follow the other way. I go the other way. I go after Jesus. I chase after Jesus. I seek after Jesus. I pursue Jesus and his teachings for life and living. I've repented. I've turned. And he says, once you repent, I love this last word, return, 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 return to what? Jesus, 110%, all in, return, go back, return to him. We're still in the age of grace. The porch light is still on in the father's house. Porch light is still on. Last night, we had forgotten to turn on our outside lights. And when we got home, I was thinking how dark our house looked and how spooky it looked. But here's the thing. What was the problem? There was no light. And there's going to come a day, folks, listen, when the age of grace will end and the lights will go off and the access to the father's house will be closed. But right now there's lights on. Right now the father says, whosoever will let him come. Right now, the father says, return, return. The prodigal son remembered. He remembered. He said, I remember how good I had it in the father's house. And then it says he repented. And then it says, he said to himself, I'm going back home. Return, return, return while the returning is good. Go home while the going is good. Malachi 3, 7 says, return to me and I will return to you. Listen to Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. 
Ask for the old godly way. Oh, I love that. And walk in it. Travel its path. And you'll find rest for your souls. Man. Every church and every Christian ought to from time to time stop at the crossroads and look around. Stop in all your busyness. Stop in all your coming and going. Stop in your constant flurry of activity. Stop at the crossroads and look around and ask yourself, am I going the right way? Am I going the right way? In all that I'm doing, are my feet going down the right path? Am I holding tight to Jesus or have I drifted? Am I living life according to the teaching of God's word? Or have I allowed the culture, the corrupt culture, to become my teacher and my instructor and my guide? Am I busy without balance, which Sardis did? Am I resisting the corruption of the world? Stop the crossroads and look around. Assess your life. I need to do it to myself from time to time. Jeff, stop at the crossroads and look around. Are you where you ought to be? Are you doing what you ought to be doing? Are you seeking God like you should? Are you in the word like you ought to? Jeff, look around. A a, a pride, bring it... Do an appraisal of your spiritual life. Examine yourself. If not, if if, if one or more of those, you say, no, I'm not. Then you say, return to your spiritual roots, to the Lord and his ways. Remember and repent and return. Because the father is this way. He's not this way. Well, you think you're going to have me forgive you after all you did? No. He says, come here. He wraps his arms around you. He throws a party on your behalf in heaven. The angels rejoice that you remembered and repented and returned. Now, I know I'm talking to the choir today, but maybe not. Maybe there's some among us, I've sure been there, who need to remember and repent and return. Can we stand together today? We don't know what happened to Sardis. We don't know. But here's what I do know. If you and I remember, repent, and return, and stay tight with Jesus, we will strengthen what remains, and we will rise up, and we will have wings like an eagle. We will run and not be weary and walk and not faint. We will find fresh strength and zeal and fire and motivation. We will bear much fruit to the kingdom of God and we will finish what he's given us to do. Amen. Amen. Can we lift our hands to the Lord today? Say with me, Lord, I remember that day you touched me when you saved me. Thank you, Lord. I remember the first blessings, how good it was. And how light my soul felt. The heavy burden rolled off. And I was filled with joy. I remember when I repented. How it opened the door. Of all that God had for me. 
Now, Lord, if any part of my life needs to return, show me today. Show me today. Because I stop right now at the crossroads and I look around me and I assess my life. Have I drifted, Lord? Help me to return. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now with your heads bowed. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, this was for me. And there is a part of my life, maybe all of me, part of me, that needed this and needs to get back and return to the Father and to his full will for me. I want you to raise your hand. Just say, that's me. Amen. Many people all over this sanctuary. I totally get it. Listen, I'm not here to condemn anybody. I don't point a finger at anybody. We're in a battle with the world, flesh, and the devil. And Lord, you see those hands. Now I'm going to ask my life leaders, life group leaders, if you would come down. If you're a leader of a life group or a pastor in this church, I want you to come to the altar because we're going to ask people to come and pray. Amen.